Prescott takes off running the football. Whoa, I don't think this is going to work out. Yeah, well, they'll be able to clock this game, playing for it. It's down, down. Oh, my gosh. Oh, the official gets in the way. The game's oh over. Gosh. The game is over. Wow, I am livid if I'm a Cowboy fan and if I'm a Niners fan. That's the fan. end of the game. The yeah. game is over. The game is over, and San Francisco survives and advances. That's the decision. It's the right decision. The execution between us and the officiators putting the ball obviously wasn't in tune. You know, we shouldn't have had any problem getting the ball spotted there. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. I never know what to do with this little moment of the show, like right when I first grabbed the mic, like a lot of sports radio hosts, hey, welcome on in. But my intro kind of does that. It kind of says what the show's called and what it is. Colin Cowherd just yells. Ah, that's what he does every day. Sometimes if I got a joke or I got something that happened to me during the day that's funny, I feel like I always use this portion of the show to talk about my ailments. Like, oh, I threw my back out. Tomorrow I'm getting a COVID shot, so I'm going to be in pain. I'm going to be insufferable. You're going to hear about it. Uh, but I never know what to do with this little portion of the show. I guess we could talk about the weather. Sometimes something I like to do uh, is just talk about for a minute, like, hey, this is an album I was listening to today. You should check this out. Today, two albums I listened to, both start to finish. Once, uh, or one of the albums I listened to twice through, actually, I was on a classic country kick today. So the first album I listened to right when I woke up when I was making breakfast, Behind Closed Doors, Charlie Rich. Yes, it's a classic. I think 19, is it 1974, 1973? It's awesome. It's really, really good. And not just Behind Closed Doors and Most Beautiful Girl in the World, the hits, but the whole, it's start to finish, cover to cover. You Never Really Wanted Me. Ooh, haunting. Till I Can't Take It Anymore. It's amazing. So that album, start to finish, Behind Closed Doors, Charlie Rich, The Silver Fox. Album number one. Album number two, Charlie Pride's 10th album. That's literally what it's called. He's on the cover. He's got a blue blazer and like a yellow ascot or a yellow dicky. I don't even know what it is. 1970, 10 songs. It starts with Able-Bodied Man. Wow. So it's bumping Charlie Pride and Charlie Rich today. It's two Charlies, both classic country. 10 out of 10 would recommend. There we go. I filled two minutes to begin the show. Now we can talk business. We can get right down to it. My name is Grant Mills. This is the Wisco Sports Show. Hope you've had an excellent day. We're going to cover a lot of ground tonight. Really excited for tonight's show. When I first started writing a couple of things down this morning, I started to think, oh, yeah, here we go. It's all coming together. We're going to talk with Perry Goldstein. She's at Cheesehead TV. She does the Packs with She Said podcast with Maggie Loney. She joins the show from time to time. Probably not as often as she should. I got to be better at hitting her up and picking times for her to come on. I think we'll talk tonight at 530. We'll preview the Niners game. And then if the Packers win, we'll talk next week. I mean, if the Packers lose, that would still be huge and and very noteworthy. And we'd obviously talk about that. So I think Perry's going to be back next week. It just depends on whether we're talking about a team that's going to their third NFC championship game in a row. Or if we're talking about a Packers team that came up short and disappointed. Either way, she will be back next week. So the first playoff installment of a playoff conversation with Perry Goldstein, that's coming up at 5.30. You can find her on Twitter at Perry Goldstein. Check out her stuff there. Want to talk about Kyle Shanahan. I want to talk about Matt LaFleur. I want to talk about David Bakhtiari. I thought Jason Wilde had an awesome piece that I read this morning in the Lacrosse Tribune over my morning coffee. I thought it was great. Talking about 
David Bakhtiari coming back and how that may or may not change things for Aaron Rodgers and the way he operates or the way in which Matt LaFleur calls plays. Maybe how long the ball sticks in the backfield before it comes out or or their decision to maybe get a bit more aggressive pushing the ball down the field. You get my point, right? What does Bakhtiari's return do for the operation of Matt LaFleur as a play caller and the way that those plays are executed by Aaron Rodgers? So I want to talk about that tonight as well. You can join me, 608-796-2558. Follow me on Twitter and tweet me at Wisco Grant. You can get in touch with the show there as well. Okay, when I started to prep for the show this morning, I guess I just assumed we'd start with the Packers, right? No shortage of topics, right? They have a playoff game this weekend. I thought, you know, lots of topics I could ask. You know, how does the return of Jair affect the Packers' secondary? 608-796-25, you know, let me know. Or I could ask a very open-ended fan question. I could say, what is your level of concern for this Saturday on a scale of 1 to 10? 608-796-25, right? There's lots of, you can come up with 100 of these. Then I thought, you know what? Let's start with the Badgers. Listen, why not? Shake it up. Let's have fun. Let's do something different. I want to start with Badgers basketball, and then we'll do Packers the rest of the way until 6 o'clock. I want to start big picture on the Badgers because it's been about a week since we've talked about them. And then I want to talk about last night's game. They beat Northwestern 82-76 to on the road. It was a game that forced you to watch until the end because Northwestern just wouldn't die. So I want to start big picture with what's going on with the team, and then we'll talk about last night's game specifically. This week, they're up to the eighth spot. The eighth hole, basically the catbird seat of the AP rankings. They're behind Gonzaga, Auburn, Arizona, Purdue, Baylor, Duke, Kansas. And the Badgers are at eight. Now, last week they were up at 13th, I believe. And I thought after a couple big wins last week, including Ohio State, that maybe they jump into the Big Ten. We'll see. Maybe, I thought maybe from 13 to 10, 13 to 9. Well, they jumped five whole spots to spot number eight. Really impressive win last week. And we talked about that win over Ohio State with Zach Heilprin. If you missed out on that conversation, it's great. Zach was great. Even though he was coming off his COVID shot, he was feeling a little under the weather. I'm like, Zach, never could tell. And it's like Axl Rose doing a show the night after a hangover with that man. He was nails. So go back and find that conversation with Zach. It was great. That aired last Friday. You can find the podcast. Wisconsin is now tied for first in the Big Ten standings. Now there's a lot of season left. I'm not taking a victory lap and saying they're winning the Big Ten. I'm just saying as of right now, they're first in the Big Ten standings, which is really impressive considering we didn't really expect much from this team. And they're putting together a really good resume. This Badgers team is. Again, the tournament is a ways off. This thing has a lot more ground we need to cover before the season's over. A lot more Big Ten play, conference tournament. There's a lot. But as of right now, Wisconsin can boast just about as good of a resume as any other team in the country. They have wins at Purdue and at Georgia Tech. They have wins at home against Indiana and Marquette, and they beat Iowa. who's not a world beater, but they're a solid Big Ten opponent. And they have neutral site wins against Houston, Texas A&M, and St. Mary's. That's a solid resume. You can't do much better than that at this point in the season. Now, they're going to have to play Michigan State. They're going to have to play Purdue again. They're going to have to play Illinois. So trust me, we could be talking about a very different position for this Badgers team in a few weeks. But as of right now, they couldn't be doing much better. And I don't want to project seeding, but they're in a spot where they could get a good seed in the NFC or in the, the NFC championship game. God, I got to get that out of my mind. They could get a great seed in the NCAA tournament in March Madness, play a couple games in Milwaukee and have a chance to win a few of those games, fight into the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. I'm not talking anything past that, but they're in a good spot to do some damage in the tournament. Now, the computers and the rankings and the metrics aren't as high on Wisconsin 
as the AP. I sound like Mac from Always Sunny. The the, the numbers, the figures, the models, right? The, co- the computers. The computers aren't as high in Wisconsin. Like, I referenced the Ken Palm rankings. They're 25th compared to 8th in the AP poll. And I think probably those computerized rankings that obviously come from model, come from a formula. It's a solid model. It's a solid formula, right? But there's not a human there making decisions. The human set it up. But I think it's the close calls with Nichols and Illinois State. I think that's the data that's probably dropping them in the ratings a little bit. And I get that, right? You got to squeak one out over Nichols or Illinois State. That's going to ding you a little bit, especially with a model that notices those things. Whereas AP voters, well, I didn't watch the Badgers play Nichols. Who cares? I watched him against Purdue. That's the game that matters. And that's a huge win that obviously is a big reason why the Badgers are eighth or that Ohio State game last week. The people who vote in the AP poll, they aren't watching Wisconsin Nichols or Wisconsin Illinois State. However, a computerized model, uh, a figure, right? the numbers, the, the figures, <laughs> that, that will show up in the Ken Palm rankings. That's why the Badgers are a little bit lower. That's fine. A lot of Big Ten play left. Not that the Ken Palm rankings decide anything, but if they get a win against Illinois or Michigan State, that's going to start to overlook and outweigh those close calls against maybe teams that they you know, should have been able to blow out a little bit more confidently. Wisconsin has now won seven straight, and as typical, as expected during a winning streak, not all of those teams are world beaters, right? And we don't want to fault the Badgers for that. Any Anytime we talked about this with the NFL yesterday, well, the Cardinals started the season 7-0. and What happened? Well, Kyler Murray got dinged, and, and things happened, but who were the seven teams they beat to start the year? Go look at the schedule, right? A winning streak means a team is playing well, yes, but it's also about who you play and when you play them. The Dolphins closed the season like 7-1. and one. Go look at the quarterbacks they played against. They weren't any good. That's not to take anything away from the Dolphins. They showed up and won those games, but we act like, you know, seven-game winning streak means, well, no, there's probably some winnable games in there, and that's the case with the Badgers, as it is the case with just about any winning streak in sports. The Badgers, since losing to Ohio State, they beat Nichols in a close game. They beat Illinois State in a close game, but then had a really impressive win at Purdue. Then Iowa, eh, not a world beater. Maryland, eh, close call, but on the road. And then Ohio State last week at Northwestern. But they do have some wins over opponents. They're a little bit lackluster. That's typical of any winning streak. You play who's on your sketch, and you got to show up and you got to beat them. That's what good teams do. Lose a tough one against Ohio State, 73-55 on December 11th, remember? And then you look inside, you look inward, you talk about quite literally looking inside. You're looking to the paint and the players on the interior and saying, we got to get bigger, we got to get stronger, we just have to be better. And they've been better. And ever since that loss against Ohio State, they've won seven in a row. Last night was the seventh, obviously. This is what good teams do. Even when they lose, they go on to put that loss behind them, make adjustments, and start a new winning streak. That's what the Packers did this season, right? Packers were a great example of this. They lost week one against New Orleans. They got smashed, right? But they moved past that, and then they won seven in a row. Detroit, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Chicago, Washington, Arizona, just rattled it off. Yep, that New Orleans game stunk. But they got past it really quickly, and they started a new winning streak. Then Aaron Rodgers goes out with COVID. And they lose in Kansas City, a game that they probably would have won with a healthy Aaron Rodgers, right? Then they win six of their next seven. And their one loss against Minnesota was razor thin. It was a game that easily could have gone the Packers' way. So it's not like they got blown off the field or did anything that stupid. It was just a shootout that they came up a little short in. That happens every once in a while, right? Is it... That impressive that the Packers won that game against Detroit in week two? Eh, no, Detroit's not that good. Or is it that impressive that they beat the Niners in week three before they really figured it out? Nah, 
Pittsburgh's not that good. They beat the Steelers. They beat the Bears or Washington football team, right? None of those games individually are that impressive. But collectively, to come back after a New Orleans loss and not slip up for seven weeks straight, that's impressive. It's not the individual game against the Steelers or the Bears. Those individual games aren't that important. It's the big picture of then going on to win seven in a row. You got to zoom out and look at the season from a little bit of a wider view. You can count on one hand the Packers' losses from the regular season and why they happened. New Orleans, eh, they didn't show up. They didn't care. They weren't ready to play. Throw that game to the side. Then they lost a game where Aaron Rodgers was out due to COVID. They lost a game that was a coin flip against Minnesota. I think a game they win eight out of ten times if you play that game back. And then they lost to Detroit at the end of the year in a game that didn't matter, and they pulled their starters in the second half. That's it. And you can do something very similar with the Badgers. You can look through their schedule and say, okay, Johnny Davis didn't play. Okay, that was a really bad game against Ohio State. But, but other than that, that's it, right? It's very easy to go back and remember this loss. I remember what happened. This loss, I remember what happened. They never allowed those individual losses to Providence or to Ohio State. They never allowed those things to snowball. And that's why the win over Northwestern last night maybe isn't that impressive. Northwestern's not that great, although they did just go into East Lansing and beat Michigan State. It's not the individual game against Northwestern last night that's impressive. It's when you zoom out and view it within the context of the entire season. That Northwestern game last night, that's an important win. That keeps the winning streak going. That keeps stacking the wins. That keeps pace in Big Ten play, right? It's important to be able to lose to Ohio State and then beat Nichols and Illinois State and Purdue and Iowa and not slip up and have a tough night in Northwestern, to not slip up and let Iowa get you and have a tough time, right? Big picture. None of these wins individually are crazy impressive, but when you pile them all together, it's it's an achievement that spans a couple of weeks. That's why it's impressive. Badgers shot great from three last night, 52%. They shot five percentage points better than Northwestern overall. They had a better shooting night than the Wildcats. The Badgers took 26 free throws to Northwestern's eight, and I know Wildcats fans were pissed. Northwestern doesn't play a style of offense where they get to the line. Sorry, the Badgers do. That's, that's how they play. It's not that crazy. I know the discrepancy looks bad. It's really nothing that bad. Easy for me to say as a Badger fan, but you get my point. All the team stats from last night favor Wisconsin. But yet if you watched, especially down the stretch in the second half, Northwestern just looked like they were hitting everything. Anytime the Badgers were about ready to pull away, Northwestern was there to hit a timely shot. Anytime that the Badgers had a little breathing room, Northwestern would hit some circus shot. And you're like, ugh, really? I'm sure a lot of us were in the same spot. The Badgers game started at 8. Probably wanted to get on with our night, get ready for bed. But Northwestern wouldn't go away. They kept hitting shots, and they kept the pressure on Wisconsin right down to the final couple of seconds, right down to the last few possessions. And the Badgers never blinked. They had an answer. They had a response. And again, beating Northwestern individually last night, nothing crazy, nothing impressive. Northwestern isn't a world beater. But it's that win when viewed in the context of winning after Ohio State and Maryland and Iowa and Purdue and Illinois State and Nichols and their ability to get over a loss at Ohio State and then put together a run and not slip up against teams that you should beat, teams like Northwestern. That's impressive, and it reminded me a lot of the trajectory that the Packers took after a loss this season. They lose to New Orleans, right? Win seven in a row. Lose to Kansas City, you win six of your next seven, right? Having a tough loss and then stacking success, even if those individual games are nothing amazing. It's the ability to do it over a long period of time. The Badgers are doing it. I want to talk about Johnny Davis, who I almost said didn't have a crazy night. Well, he had 27, so pretty damn good. I want to talk about Johnny Davis individually. I have a soundbite of Greg Garda I want to play you. And then I promise, if college basketball, if the Badgers aren't your thing, sorry, I promise we'll get to the Packers at 530. Wisco Sports Show back in three minutes. 
This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. And I haven't got much time to let you know. It's a great song. I'm listening to Charlie Pride today and Charlie Rich, but that's nothing new. Said to start the show. Two albums today. Two albums. This is your homework. Charlie Rich, Behind Closed Doors, and Charlie Pride's 10th album. That's what it's called. It's the first song. It's called Able-Bodied Man. Yes, it goes in. They're looking for an able-bodied man. It's been a country music day. There's nothing going on. The Packers haven't played in like a week and a half. I'm going nuts going nuts. Thankfully, we have some help today. Perry Goldstein's going to join us in a little over an hour. Mike Clemens is going to call in real quick at about 10 to 5 because the Packers have released Kingsley Kiki. So Mike's on the story. He's going to give us the latest here in about 25 minutes. Probably not in the mood today to be asked about Charlie Pride. Maybe on a normal day, we had a little more time. I'd ask Mike, hey, what do you think about Charlie Pride? You got any stories? No, we'll stick to business with Mike today. He's probably scrambling to, to get us the latest and God, that would be that would be the most Grant Bills thing ever to bring him on here to break some news and then ask him about a country album that's 52 years old. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Tweet me at Wisco Grant. Text and call 608-796-2558. We're talking about the Badgers and how it beat Northwestern last night. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that was an amazing win. And God, I was blown away. And they look so awesome. And yeah, Wildcats are amazing. Northwestern did beat Michigan State in East Lansing not too long ago. But the Wildcats aren't world beaters. It's not that individual game. It's this Badgers team's ability, even as a young team, to lose to Ohio State a couple of weeks ago in early December and then rattle off seven in a row. Because they've had a lot of games like last night. It would have been easy for the Badgers to lose last night. Johnny Davis was getting beaten up. Northwestern was hitting timely shots. They just wouldn't go away. It would have been easy for the Badgers to slip up and lose last night. And they didn't. And they've had lots of games like that over the past few weeks. And it's impressive because they perform like a consistent, experienced team. Dean and Eau Claire says Badgers big men are improving quickly, which will need to continue if they want to be relevant in March. This is this is relative, right, Dean? Like, if you think relevant in March means contending for a Final Four, Yeah, I would tend to agree. They probably need to reach another gear and then another gear. But if relative is getting a great seed and fighting for the Sweet 16, which I think we all would have taken at the beginning of the year, I I mean, I think they're already going to be relevant in March. You you brought up the big men, so I'm going to play you this. Greg Gard last night on Tyler Wall, having to make some adjustments, guarding players who were bigger than him, and and him just figuring it out and excelling as the season passes. Yeah, and and I thought it would take him a little bit to adjust to that because – um, obviously with a 6'10 kid on him, Barron, that was a little longer than what he had seen. And he adjusted pretty quickly. You know, he, he started countering and and uh, going to multiple pivots. And that he adjusted, I thought, pretty well, pretty fast after the first possession. He's adjusting. He's learning. He's getting better. Now, there are some structural issues that Tyler Wall is going to run into. They're going to get in a game against Illinois. You just can't put Tyler Wall on Kofi Coburn. It's just not, not going to work. It's not going to happen. There's no you know, fighting and, you know, practicing. Like, you can't practice and watch film to go and defend Kofi Coburn. He's just too big. Tyler Wall's not cut out for that. It would be like me saying, well, if I work out every day and I just eat my veggies, then next month I could go run routes with Devontae Adams and play for the pack. No, 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 no. That's that's not going to happen. It's a different plane of being. Tyler Wall's just on a different plane of being than Kofi Coburn and some of these other big men, Hunter Dickinson at Michigan. But if he can hang in there and hold his own, 
and then you can rotate in uh, Vote and some of these other big men. Badgers will be in a good spot, and thank you for the text, Dean and Eau Claire. I absolutely agree. Jake from Colfax, Charlie Pride, absolutely love it. I thought I was the only sub-30-year-old to listen to country music from that era. Yeah, uh, God, we're going to derail the conversation. Okay, Johnny Davis has a sec. First, I got to address this. Um, yeah, Charlie Pride, Charlie Pride is awesome, and I love country music that's not, like, hillbilly-ish. You know, like, sometimes you listen to Hank Jr., which is considered classic now. Like, I got a trout line and a country boy can survive. I make my own jerky. It's like, well, I'm not, I don't, I don't vibe with that so much. Like, I, I like pooping inside, for example. Okay, now I'm reducing country music. To, shouldn't have said that. But yeah, I love Charlie Pride. Early 70s, even late 60s. There's a lot of good country music from that era. The steel guitar just <laughs> sings. I want to talk about Johnny Davis. Speaking of steel guitar, great, great transition. I read a mock draft last week, and we talked about this. Had Johnny going four. So he's behind Jabari Smith at Auburn, Paolo Banchero, who's at Duke, and then Chet Holmgren, who we know is at Gonzaga. Top five is wild. Uh, I figured Johnny would be an NBA guy, hopefully a lottery pick at some point. If you would have told me sophomore year he'd be a top five pick, I, I think I would even be surprised, and I've been higher on Johnny than anyone over the last couple of years. Fourth overall, that that blows me away. That's awesome. That's great. Um, And, you know, we talked about Johnny Davis last year and how, well, Greg Gard had him buried on the bench. You know what? They should have gone to him last year. I, I don't think he was this player last year. So I think your frustration with Greg Gard for burying Johnny last year, I, I just don't think that's reality. Johnny Davis this season is averaging over 22 points, seven and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, a steal and a half a game. That's all team highs. It's not like that version of Johnny Davis was buried on the bench last year. Damn it, Greg Gard. It's just not what's worked. I think Johnny, in a couple of different ways, has become a changed player this year. First of all, I think he's really started to feel himself in the swing offense. And Wisconsin, while they're not known as an NBA factory for talent, that's why Tyler Hero didn't want to go there. Jalen Johnson obviously went to Duke, and he went to you know Atlanta in the draft as a lottery pick. A lot of players tend to circumvent, word of the day, circumvent Wisconsin and go somewhere else if they have NBA prospects. Davis is flourishing in the swing offense because the swing offense maximizes versatility. If you can shoot from all over the floor and drive and pass and rebound and get steals and do all these different things, you can flourish in Wisconsin's offense. Frank Kaminsky is a great example. As soon as he was able to both play with his back to the basket and shoot from the outside, Wisconsin's perfect for him because he's moving all over the place. He's making himself available on cuts and catch and shoot opportunities. There's opportunities for him to handle the ball as well. Johnny is in like an amusement park every night when he checks into the game. Right, He can just run around and play to his strengths and jump on the merry-go-round and then go over here and slide down the slide and then hop on the roller coaster. Like The swing offense turns the court into a playground. All of these different attractions and things that Johnny Davis can run around and do to showcase what he's good at, which is a lot of different things. His versatility is, I think, what makes him attractive to NBA teams and NBA scouts. Is he perfect at any one thing? Probably not, but he's really good at a lot of things, and that's showcased by the swing offense. I think he started to get footing in that offense just this year, which is why he looks like a different player. Also, the volume, right? He is getting more opportunities, mostly because he's playing so well, right? He's rewarded for playing well by getting more volume. He plays well. He gets more volume, right? It's 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 a cycle. When he's on the floor, he's taking 34% of Wisconsin's shots. That's high volume. And he's played in 11 games this season where he's had 50 ball screen plays and 20 post-ups. So he's getting touches high, he's getting touches low, and he's taking 
about a third of the team's shots, a little bit more than a third of the team's shots when he's on the floor. Volume, right? That's going to rise a player's stock as well. I also think he did himself a favor by playing on Team USA this last summer, the under-19 team. And anyone who listens to Bill Simmons' podcast understand there are people, and I think I'm somewhere in the middle, who really value international basketball because it's a different experience. You get out of the AAU circuit or the college circuit or the NBA scout circuit. You experience something with your team. You mature. You see a different brand of basketball. I think that's really important. And I think that players do themselves a huge favor when they play internationally, when they have the opportunity to, instead of, you know, staying home and just shooting at LA Fitness in the summer and making Instagram videos a la Ben Simmons. Most importantly... Johnny, I think, has vaulted up the draft boards and is looking like a top five pick at this moment in time and a player of the year candidate. I think the biggest factor is not volume. It's not the swing offense. It's not his international experience. I think it's the team is winning. I think it's as simple as that. The Badgers are 15-2, and and they're massively outperforming preseason expectations. They're a winning team. And I don't need to be an NBA scout to understand that I want to buy stock in a player like that. I want, I want to draft the player that showed up at Wisconsin and immediately transformed the team, made them way better than they thought we, you know, we would be, made Tyler Wall a better player, made Chucky Hepburn a better player. He's making everyone a better player. And there's a difference between drafting Baker Mayfield one overall because he's a winner and drafting Johnny Davis because he does winning things. Johnny Davis is the reason why the Badgers are winning, even when he has bad nights. Like last night, he grabbed a couple rebounds down the stretch. I'm like, man looking like he's trying to kill someone on the glass. He's just competitive, and even when his shots aren't falling, he finds ways to impact the game. Here's Greg Gard talking about how Davis pushes the rest of the team. How he competes in practice sends the message to his teammates. I mean, he he competes every day. The drills we do, the competition stuff we do, so if things don't go his way, he wants to get back in. You know, this is how he's wired, and we've got a lot of guys like that. Tyler's like that. Brad's like that. You know, and that helps because it, it permeates to the rest of the guys, and, and when you have those type of extremely competitive-driven leaders on the front, that, that helps and spreads to everybody else. I want to draft a guy like that. If I'm an NBA GM, I want a player that does winning basketball things. Right? We, we listened to Nick Nurse last week talk about his coaching philosophy, head coach of the Raptors. And he said, winning is at the front of it all. We coach winning. And once you establish that, everything else follows. Then we can tinker with your jump shot. We can work on your handle. We can work on making you a better player to get you that next contract or to get you in the all-star game or to get you, in the case of college basketball, to get you drafted. But it has to start with winning. And really, ever since I've been watching Johnny Davis the last couple of years, it's always started and ended with winning. And that's a big reason why he's at the top of the draft board and might just win player of the year. Let's take a break. I want to get into the Packers coming up next and talk about Matt LaFleur, the coaching matchup between LaFleur and Shanahan. I think that's an interesting approach from which to view this game. Mike Clemens is also going to join us. The Packers have released Kingsley Kiki. We'll talk about that at about 10 to 5 with Mike. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Perry Goldstein going to be here in an hour from Cheesehead TV to preview Packers 49ers. We talked a little bit about the McCarthy game from this last weekend, too. I think that game is so instructive and so educational for us as Packers fans. I think that game is a tool to now better understand all of those playoff losses that McCarthy had with the Packers. Maybe I'm jaded. Maybe I'm just looking to rip McCarthy, although that hasn't been me. Right? You listen to the show. And do I go out of my way to make fun of Mike McCarthy? 
I, I feel like I don't, right? I've given him the benefit of the doubt over time. It's not like I don't like McCarthy, but that Sunday game, I just... It made me look at a lot of Packers' playoff losses differently. So we talk about that for a minute or two, but mostly Packers 49ers. Mike Clemens will be here in 10 minutes. Packers cut Kingsley Kiki today. So we'll get a live report from Green Bay. Actually, I, I don't know where Mike is. He's probably either in Green Bay or maybe he's at home in Milwaukee. But either way, he's connected, and we'll talk to him in about 10 minutes. I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers at 5 o'clock. Jason Wildy wrote a good story that came out today about the return of Bakhtiari and how Rodgers is maybe adjusting or not adjusting his game based on not having or, or having his left tackle in the lineup. My take, Rodgers and Lafleur sharp from the jump on Saturday. Everything else is noise. The defense might give up some bad plays. Maybe there's a special teams gaffe. But at the end of the day, if Rodgers and Lafleur are on their game and sharp from the opening kickoff, not the start of the second quarter, not halftime, at the start of the game, if Rodgers and Lafleur show up, everything else is just noise. And we're going to get to Rodgers. I want to talk about the Matt Lafleur half of this. Half a dozen NFL teams just moved on from their head coach. We talk about that a lot. We fawn over John Harbaugh and Sean McDermott and Lafleur, and we kill Mike McCarthy and Matt Nagy. You know, rest in peace. Of course, he's been laid off now. He's been fired. Through our discourse and what we talk about in NFL shows or on Twitter or whatever. It's clear the coaches are valuable, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't talk about it so much. We wouldn't focus on it. We wouldn't yell that Matt Nagy needs to be let go or Mike Zimmer needs to be let go, right? Coaches are obviously valuable. They make a difference. They have an impact. I want to talk about why. And I think there's two departments, really, two things in a game situation that makes head coaches matter. Now, obviously, Dan Campbell came in, reset the culture. He's starting a rebuild. That's good. Right Or Cliff Kingsbury coming in and helping to develop Kyler Murray. That, that's good, sure. But in a playoff setting, in an individual gotta-win-or-go-home game, I think there's two ways in which head coaches really, throughout the flow of the game, impact things. I think there's run-pass decisions, and I think there's in-game decision-making. Let's start with decision-making. It's a huge deal. It's not that hard, and yet some coaches are really bad at it. Long story short, by going for it on fourth down when you should and punting when you should, and kicking field goals at the right time, you buy points in the margins. It's like you get a point here and there, and you get to put them in your back pocket for the end of the game. This is this is where my mind went. Have you ever played the game Settlers of Catan? I'm sure you've heard of it. Most people probably have heard of it. If you haven't, that's fine. It's, it's really easy to understand. There's a game board, right? You put your pieces down. You roll dice, right? And the whole idea of the game is to score victory points. And you do that by building little roads, building little houses, building little cities. It's really quite simple. It's much easier than Risk or Monopoly. And a game takes like 25 minutes. I would recommend it. It's fun. And it's like first one to 10 victory points wins the game. And you score points in different ways, but mostly building little houses and building little roads and just building up your little town. And the bigger your town gets, the more cards you get and the easier it's to build and expand, right? So you win by winning points. First to 10 wins or whatever. You can also get points by buying development cards. I think it costs a wheat, a steel, and a sheep, which are resources in the game. And if you buy a development card, they could have all sorts of things, right? They could, you know, build an extra road or, or like, a, essentially a get-out-of-jail-free card or, or whatever. And some of the cards just have points on them. It's like, hey, here's a victory point, right, towards your total. So over the course of the game, you can look at the game board and think, okay, this player has a couple houses, has a road or two. That player's at eight points. But in reality, that player might actually be at 9 or 10. Maybe they've won because they have those victory points that they bought through development cards. They got that in their pocket, right? Correct decision-making in an NFL game from a coach buys you little points here and there. And in the moment, it doesn't feel like a lot. 
It's like, oh, I can't build a house, so I'll buy a development card. Whatever. It doesn't feel like a lot, but at the end of the game, it can make a huge difference. It can be the difference between pulling away, extending a lead, and winning going away, like the 49ers should have on Sunday, or it coming down to the wire, like it did on Sunday. It can be the difference between kicking a game-winning field goal or needing to force things for a touchdown because you didn't do what you should have earlier in the game. It's the difference between having two extra possessions, two extra chances to score touchdowns because you were aggressive and went for it on fourth and one when you should have. Matt LaFleur is really good at this stuff. Him and Rodgers need to get a little bit better at valuing timeouts, but for fourth down decision-making and field goals and punts, they're really, really sharp. I like I like Matt LaFleur over Kyle Shanahan in that regard, actually by a wide margin. The other department for head coaching in a game is deciding between runs and passes. This decision is huge for a head coach, and it can completely shape the outcome of a game. It can shape the identity of a team and whether or not a season is successful or not. The Vikings had issues with this. Zimmer's like, oh, we got to give Dowell and Cook the ball. Well, Zim, it's not working. Well, that's because we're not doing it enough. Like, well, that makes the opposite of sense, but go off, I guess, Mike. He ends up losing his job, right? Because we should run this offense through Thielen and Jefferson and maybe not so much through Dalvin Cook. Zach Taylor, head coach of the Bengals, is a really good example of this, right? Through the last couple weeks of the season, they started throwing the ball 70% of the time because as it turns out, Jamar Chase is really good. And T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and C.J. Uzama are really good. And Joe Burrow's really good. And you lose that if you just hand the ball to Joe Mixon every single play. Think of it this way, right? Throughout the course of an NFL game, You only get to run so many plays. You only get to call so many plays. Fewer plays if you suck at fourth down decisions and you're punting the ball away when you shouldn't be. So think of every play as money. And every play call, every choice by a play caller is an investment. You're deciding where you want to invest that money. Do I want to invest it in a target to Jamar Chase? Or do I want to invest it in a halfback dive to Joe Mixon, right? You only have so many dollars throughout the course of a game. And it's best spent if you invest it in your best players. So the Packers better invest and target Adams 20 times on Saturday because that will be money well spent. That's going to have good return on investment. Meanwhile, the Vikings invest a little bit too much in Dalvin Cook. Like, yeah, I like Dalvin Cook, but Justin Jefferson has a lot higher upside. You put money into Justin Jefferson, he's going to reward you big time. You know, Dalvin Cook, he'll get you some yards here and there. That's like a savings bond. He'll get you a $10 return. Justin Jefferson, that's like buying... That's buying a blue chip stock right there. That's guaranteed return on investment. You only have so many plays. And when coaches waste plays all the time by handing the ball to some running back that's not very good behind an offensive line that's not that good at blocking, it's a waste. So run pass decisions, in-game decision-making. I love Matt LaFleur as an in-game decision-maker way more than I love Kyle Shanahan. I'm a little scared that Matt LaFleur is going to try to spam the running game too much on Saturday when throwing the ball, especially if Randall Cobb is back and healthy, especially how good Adams is, and especially how well Lazard is playing. Passing is going to be the ticket on Saturday. And I worry a little bit that Matt LaFleur is going to get in his head and say, we got to establish the run. No, you don't. You need to use Jones and Dylan and keep them involved, yes, but passing is the ticket. And I worry a little bit that Matt LaFleur is going to invest a little bit too much in the running game on Saturday. Let's take a break. We'll talk to Mike Clemens. The Packers cut Kingsley Kiki a little bit of a surprise, or maybe it's not. I don't know. Let's talk to Mike. He'll know a lot better than I. We'll speak with him in three minutes. Back on the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Appreciate you hanging out tonight. We need the Packers to play a game. I. <laughs> 
I can only preview so much. I can only attack this game from so many angles before I just like, look, they, they got to play a game. <laughs> We're going to talk about uh, the Packers offensive line situation uh, and how that changes with David Bakhtiari. Obviously, Bakhtiari slides into place. Yash Nyman slides somewhere else. Same with Josh Myers, right? If Josh Myers comes back, do we move Lucas Patrick to guard? And does that kick Royce Newman onto the bench or, or, or whatever, right? Obviously, structurally, players getting healthy changes the offensive line. It'll change the roster. It'll change the players on the field. But will that change the way in which Aaron Rodgers operates or the way in which Matt LaFleur calls plays, right? I, I don't know. And I want to talk about that here in about 10 minutes. Right now, Mike Clemens is joining us, uh, our Packers reporter. Mike Kingsley Kiki has been released. Is that a surprise or is that something we yeah. should have seen coming? Oh, it is a surprise. Okay. You would know better well, than me. No, no. Okay. Let me, let me backtrack that. Truthfully, I got a tip, you know, about a half hour before the release came out, uh, there's going to be a roster change. Okay. And you think, uh, and you get the feeling like, okay, Okay, that's someone got exited, and the first person that came to mind was Kingsley Kiki, um, and and then then the next thing I start thinking, no, there's maybe there's some younger guy, maybe there's maybe there's a they're making some room on the roster because they want to bring up somebody sure. from practice squad or something like that. But the reason, the first reason I thought about the defensive tackle that they drafted out of Texas A and M three years ago was because uh, he had some injuries. He'd had some big games. Um, I sent a clip of uh, when he, uh, after the uh, win over the Steelers and, yep. and the good production he had over that, um, is that I think it was after the Ravens game, we noticed that he was inactive. And he, he'd had some injuries, but he, he had been back on the practice field. And then the weekend of, he's a healthy scratch. So... When the Packers got back to Green Bay and LaFleur was doing one of those pressers after he'd you know, reviewed the game tape, then it was, he was just kind of casually asked, yeah, why was Kingsley Kiki uh, uh, healthy and active? And he said, that's a personal matter. Um, we've dealt with it in, uh, uh, internally, mm -hmm. um, and that's all we have to say about it. And then that's when you go, oh, yeah, uh, well, okay, and... And he's been in the dugout since. I don't think mm. he's touched the field since. Why they chose, you know, three days out from a divisional playoff game to make this move is interesting, unless the situation was just going on and on and not getting any better. Um, but they really they cut him today. And, mm. you know, they, that means they, they moved forward. Tyler Lancaster, T.J. Slater, and said, has, you know, gotten a lot of those snaps when he was out. And um, and that's it. But so, you know, that's just uh, that's that's a strange move for the Green Bay Packers. But um, you know, here's here's what he sounded like. If you have that, yes, sir. Um, after he had a good game against Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers at Lambeau. Yeah, Kenny, Dean, all those guys, uh, me, TJ, we're just the prime thing this was to push the pocket because, you know, Ben's going to step up. He's a guy that's going to step up in the pocket, try to get, you know, them short, medium routes, short, medium throws. So, yeah, the game plan was just to, you know, collapse the pocket, and uh, that was huge for us, and it paid off. I think other than Kenny or Kenny Clark, who's obviously their star up front, their defensive line is built on depth, right? Lowry and Lancaster and Kiki and Slayton. Why do they, I mean, was something so bad with him where they didn't even want him around for depth purposes this weekend? Why now? The, the timing of this is weird because, like, in the Pittsburgh game, we saw flashes. Weird. Only thing I, only I could think of, I mean, 
it's a variety of things. Uh, you know, he he'd had the injury, then he got back healthy, then he uh, tested positive for COVID. And I mean, everyone is on this team has had COVID at one time or another, and, yeah. and so that can't be a reason why. But it, you know, the rest of it is just all speculation to me. Uh, I, I will tell you, just in dealing with the player, I'm I'm surprised. He seemed to be kind of a uh, a happy. Um, driven young man to get up there. He, he he did not seem to be, you know, have like you know banging on his chest a lot of bravado yeah. in the way he carried himself. Um, but I mean, it was kind of surprising to hear that he was in the doghouse when Matt Lafleur said uh, it's a personal thing we're handling internally. But you know, that's a fifth round pick that you know had was progressing you know each year as a guy that can you know be up there and help out. He missed a lot of time. Uh, last year. So today, um, just minutes before he took to the podium, and this was just about a half hour ago, we asked the defensive coordinator, Joe Barry, on, hey, you just lost one of your now veteran defensive linemen, Kingsley Kiki. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm not going to get into personnel uh, stuff with you guys. You know, um, I think Goody, obviously, you know, th- with Matt. You know, they do a great job with all of our personnel and all of our personnel decisions. And, uh, you know, we kind of take the approach, who's ever here, we're going to we're gonna coach the hell out of. And, uh, you know, obviously a decision was made. He's, he's not here anymore, but uh, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. You know, Joe Barry, by the way, this is a great media strategy, saying, hey, well, I'm not the head coach, I'm not the GM. You know, that's a decision they made. Uh, it's, but it's not like they didn't clear with Joe Barry. There's no way they did this without asking or consulting him, right? It's his defense. It's his guy. No, and a matter of fact, he may have said, this guy's a trouble in my defensive line room. He's sure. not getting along with his coach. Or, you know, he's now reporting. But, you know, the trainer reports to the GM about that if he's not taking care of business there. Or mm-hmm. if there's something about, you know, I I just, it doesn't seem like it's a style of play. It seems like it's some sort of an issue. And that's the whole funny thing about this today, Grant, was here two, three hours ago, um, after, you know, this frigid cold practice today in Green Bay where it's like nine degrees outside, yeah. but they're trying to get ready for Saturday night. Mercedes Lewis comes in, and to me, except for this thing that happened three weeks ago, you know, Kiki being a uh, an healthy and active, it seemed like this, this team, when you see the things that the Buccaneers have gone through and other teams, that this team is really together. And I talked to Mercedes Lewis about that. And I said, is this something the coaches stress in terms of you guys being together on the sidelines of games, cheering on your teammates, helping each other? Aaron Rodgers helping out their, uh, Jordan Love in the second half of the Lions game. And he said, no, that's got to come within. That's got to come within the locker room. Mm-hmm. And and he kind of left it at that. So now, you know, you kind of go back over some of the comments the Packers, the players made after practice today. And, you know, it seemed like there was something in the air. And you didn't know if that was just – because you know it's the it's the eve, it's the nerves because you're going in the playoffs sure. or what. But that just means that you know the, the guys that have to step up are uh, you know T.J. Slayton, Jack Heflin has you know gotten some snaps. He's been inactive the last couple games, and Tyler Lancaster is probably the the big one who's going to have to help out on that other defensive end side along with Kenny Clark against this great running team, the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, I'm excited to watch Kenny Clark because he missed a couple of games back a few weeks, Mike. And something I noticed with Kenny Clark, he'll get injured and he'll miss a week and then he'll come back. And it's almost like he needs to ramp up 
for a week or two. Like, he'll, he'll get a little bit better, get a little bit better, and then after he's been in the lineup and playing for a month or so, then he's red hot. I, I feel like we're on the upswing with Kenny Clark and with a, a week of rest. I, I just can't wait to watch Kenny Clark in the playoffs, and I hope everyone around him can can obviously be up to the task against San Fran because that running game and that, that front is is no joke. You're right. Yeah, you know, you're right about it, too. And as a matter of fact, statistically, when you look at Kenny Clark's seasons over the years, and I think he's already up to fifth or sixth year, um, his de- December is like his best month. You know, it yeah. just, he just seems to get better as the season wears on or, you know, if he gets through some initial injury, um, he gets better at the top of it. So, uh, otherwise, today it was kind of surprising that Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who trotted around out there yesterday, did not practice today. And he's doing now 10 days after suffering a back injury on the turf at Ford Field. Bakhtiari was on the field today after not practicing yesterday. And it, I don't know, right now it seems like a 50-50 deal. In fact, Bakhtiari is a day-to-day thing. Yeah, that He's actually making the ultimate decision about testing the knee, seeing how it feels, seeing that he has confidence in it, and and obviously doing whatever he thinks he could do to have confidence in that left knee and at the same time doing whatever he needs to do to get on the field to protect Aaron Rodgers against the 49ers defense. All right, awesome. Well, I'm going to talk about Bakhtiari and that offensive line after our top of the hour break here, Mike. I appreciate you calling in. It's your off day. We do hits on Tuesday and Thursday. I appreciate you making 10 minutes for us and calling in and giving us the lowdown on Kiki. It's off day in terms of doing a live report on your show, but it's no off day. You're always working, <laughs> There's no Mike. off days. You're always There's working. no off days in the NFL, my friend. Yeah, I appreciate oh, yeah, you, Mike. I, just, I thought that was, sh- I was shocking news. I thought it was shocking. Well, it's worth Talk the conversation. I'm, I'm glad we got you today. Talk to you tomorrow, Mike. Appreciate you. Thank you. Talk to you then, Grant. Bye-bye. Yeah, yeah that's Mike Clements on Twitter, at Mike Clemens NFL. We're going to talk about David Bakhtiari and that offensive line coming up next. Appreciate Mike for the time. Be back in two minutes. Scott takes off running the football. Whoa, I don't think this is going to work out. Yeah, well, they'll be able to clock this game, plan for it. Four. Down, down. Oh, my gosh. Oh, the official gets in the way. The game's oh over. Gosh. The game is over. Wow, I am livid if I'm a Cowboy fan and if I'm a Niners That's fan. the end of the game. The yeah. game is over. The game is over, and San Francisco survives and advances. That's the decision. It's the right decision. The execution between us and the officiators putting the ball obviously wasn't intent. You know, we shouldn't have had any problem getting the ball spotted there. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Now, here's your host. We need to get the Westwood One guy to do our to do our intro for this show. The NFL on Westwood One. We get that guy. This is the Wisco Sports Show. You heard the intro. You get you get the gist. My name is Grant Bills. Appreciate you being here today. We appreciate Mike Clemens. We talk to him normally on Tuesdays and Thursdays. He's working all the time. But I wasn't planning to talk to Mike today, and he reached out and said, "Hey, the Packers cut Kingsley Kiki." You know, do you want to talk about it for 10 minutes? I said, yes, absolutely, yes, 100%, yes. Please join us, and he did. If you missed that, you can catch up on the podcast. I'll post it just after 6 o'clock when the show is done. Interesting, interesting. Now, he wasn't great 
It's not like he was some rock star player, but he's a cheap defensive lineman on an affordable rookie deal who is improving and a big part of their depth. Yeah, it's not like they, you know, cut loose the gravedigger here. Don't get me wrong, but still kind of odd. And to do it at this time, two days before a playoff game, I don't know. Just odd. That's all. Maybe there's nothing sinister going on. Maybe just, I don't know. Maybe he's just unhappy and wanted out. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. Maybe we'll get some more information on that after the season. Of course, once they put the Super Bowl DVD out, maybe they'll mention the Kingsley Kiki story. 608-796-2558. You can hit me up there. You can tweet me at Wisco Grant as well. David is on the line. David, welcome. What's going on? Well, there was a rumor that with all these guys coming back for the Packers, that all of a sudden there were ghosts that were seen in, on Lombardi Avenue. Really? So, really? yeah, I heard that Reggie White wanted to come back for one more game. Adderley <laughs> wanted to come back. Yeah. Nitschke wanted to come back. And so LaFleur decided that the one guy he could take back was Reggie White. Yeah. But the only problem, the only problem was that because Reggie White was traded at the end of his career, he had to go to Gutekunst. And Gutekunst said, well, I can make a deal with Carolina, but they're going to want an apparition to be named later. Okay, okay. In return. That makes sense. No, you're you're preaching right now. This all makes sense to me. I get this 100%. Yeah, just one other thing. Wow. The One of the best sports days I ever had with my kids, who were pretty young, mm-hmm. was at the field house watching the Badgers play Bobby Knight. <laughs> they hadn't beaten Bobby Knight ever or Indiana. And the Badgers came out. And they were ahead 15 to nothing, ended up beating Bobby Knight, first time they'd beat Indiana. And that same day, and at halftime, we were watching the Packers beat the San Francisco 49ers when Desmond Howard returned a punt in the mud. So I heard your concerns about the Bucks game conflicting with the Packer game. What's funny about it is you'll be at the Bucks game and all of a sudden, having nothing to do with basketball, <laughs> yeah. you'll hear tremendous cheers let out when the Packers score a touchdown because people be monitoring the football game. I'm hoping so. Yeah, I'm hoping so. I, You know, that gives me that gives me optimism that I'm going to have a great time at the Bucks game and then I'm going to have this memory of being at Pfizer Forum on Pride Night, by the way, watching my Bucks play my Kings while the Packers beat the Niners in the division round. And, you know, the game starts an hour before the Packers game, so we'll get to watch the end somewhere. But I needed this story, David. I appreciate you. Thank you. I feel a lot better about this whole thing now. If you get two wins out of it, that'd be a great night. Yeah. I Oh, if I get two wins, I'll be elated, absolutely. And then next week we can talk about, of course, the Packers beating the Kings, but we'll have to fit the Packers in a little bit next week too, of course. <laughs> Have a good night. Yeah, thanks, David. That's David. You can call me as well, 608 796 I think one of my favorite sports memories that's kind of similar to that, David, it's it's not quite, but it's similar. When we were at a Brewers game in the summer of 2011, it was the game against the Marlins where Giovanni Gallardo started, and it was the night where they clinched the division, but we needed the Cubs to beat the Cardinals. So all night, obviously, the, the scoreboard along the outfield rotates, and it shows you scores around the league. And there was one moment where saw the Cubs-Cardinals score, and it was tied. Then it disappeared, and we saw some American League scores. And then it came back, and you heard cheering, and you're like, what's going on? And you look down, and the Cubs had taken a three-run lead. And the place just started cheering, 
of course, nothing to do with the game that was actually going on in the field in front of us, which is always kind of funny. I'm hoping we get a lot of those cheers on Saturday night at Pfizer Forum, and I hope they make it part of the game experience, too, like they keep us updated or whatever. I remember a track meet at UW-Stout. This would have been in the spring of 2015. 2015, I believe. So my junior year of high school, we had an indoor meet at the field house, the Johnson Field House, on the campus of UW-Stout. And that was the day that the Badgers played Arizona. So there's the meet going on while this Badgers basketball game was going on in the Elite Eight. And I remember the PA announcer coming on, and there was probably a race going on, and this guy just hopped on the PA anyways. And the Badgers have defeated the Arizona Wildcats. The Aaron Gordon, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Arizona Wildcats. What a cool team that was. And everybody started cheering. And there was pole vault and long jump going on. Sometimes you get a sporting event where there's crossover, a crossover episode like that. Um, where you're at a basketball game and you got to watch scores, or maybe there's a divisional race and you're watching the result of another game. Sometimes you can uh, have a good time with conflicting sport events. I, I hope that's the case on Saturday night. David Bakhtiari's been a story this week, and he's going to be a story on Saturday night, whether or not he plays, period. There's a chance that he might truly not play, it sounds like. Matt LaFleur talked about this today. He was asked, is there actually a chance that Bakhtiari doesn't play at all? Like, is there a chance that he might just not play this week? And this is what Matt LaFleur's uh, update was today. Very brief, of course. Like I said all along, we'll always take it one day at a time with him. Obviously, you know, it's, he's coming off a major injury. So I think you always want to be mindful of, of the big pitcher with a guy of his caliber. And, you know, we'll see where he's at tomorrow and follow him throughout the course of the week. Okay, so that's a nothing answer. I'm not even, I didn't even listen to it, honestly. I'm not, I checked my phone. Mike Clemens texted me. I want to make sure it wasn't some other release. I have no clue what Matt LaFleur said, but it was something along the lines of, you know, wait and see. And, well, it's a game time decision, whatever. Yeah, that's Matt LaFleur, coach B. I want to talk about the O-line, of course, around David Bakhtiari, too, and the strategy that Rodgers will use, the play calling that LaFleur will use, based on Bakhtiari's status, right? So this morning, I was leaving the YMCA, crushed, by the way, crushed session on the Stairmaster. Just annihilated that thing. And I was on my way out, but they got free coffee, and they always have, you know, the the morning newspaper on the table in the lobby and, like, around the building. They're just scattered. I I don't know who does it. Like, someone comes and sprinkles newspapers all over the place in the morning. The Lacrosse Tribune was there, and I like reading newspapers because I like reading local journalism, right? Like, even I'm sure they're in some way a competitor of my company, but I'd like to think us local journalists, we're on the same team, right? So I like reading local writers, you know, school board things, community things, stuff like that. And Jason Wildey, who's not local here, obviously he's syndicated, his work gets passed around, but he had a really good piece highlighting David Bakhtiari being back and what we can expect. And he quoted Aaron Rodgers the week after Bakhtiari came back in that Detroit game and played 27 snaps or whatever. And on that first drive, Aaron Rodgers held the ball a little bit. He didn't appear to have that sense of urgency to get the ball out. Maybe that's because he wanted to go through all his reads and his checks and, you know, it was just a, a happenstance of what was going on in the game. Or maybe it's because he wanted to test David Bakhtiari and some of those offensive linemen like Josh Myers who were coming back. Here's Jason Wildey's response he gets. He asked Aaron Rodgers about that, uh, the dynamic between him and Bakhtiari when he came back to the field. Dave is convinced I was doing that on purpose to test him and his ability to <laughs> extend extend some of the blocks. Uh, he was laughing, you know, with TJ and myself after the game talking about that exact fact in those first two drives where I kind of, you know, was holding it, was holding it, was moving, was moving. You know, he was leading up to it. He's saying, man, you've been doing so good. You're getting the ball out quick. You're not holding on the ball. You know, and then I come back and you're, you know, running around and 
extended plays. And I'm like, I'm not trying to, Dave. I, I like the way this has gone. I enjoy getting the ball out. This is a different system. Uh, so, no, I don't, I'm not going to flip a switch and start hanging on to the football more. That's not how I want to play. It's not how we play it all year. You know, the ball is coming out uh, pretty good on time, and, and that's how we want to keep doing it. But uh, it was funny, especially after I kind of held it, held it, moved left, ran to the right, ran for seven, slid, got up and looked over, and Dave was looking at me with that look on his face like, what in the hell are you doing? Uh, so so we had a good uh, good laugh about that later. So I don't think Rodgers was testing Bakhtiari. I just think that's how the play developed and, and that's how Rodgers wanted to go about it. The Packers missed basically their whole offensive line this season and it went down in chunks throughout. Right? They lost Myers a couple weeks in. They lost, what did they lose, Elton Jenkins in? Which game did they lose him? I need to look at the Packers' schedule. Was that against, I don't remember when he went down. It wasn't Seattle. That was Rashawn Gary and Aaron Jones in that game. Was it Kansas City? I don't remember. It's not that important. But they lost Elton Jenkins at one point. Obviously, without Bakhtiari from the jump. They lost Billy Turner down the stretch, too, later in the season, which was a huge bummer, although it seems like he's going to come back and play at some point, too. They were without their entire offensive line all season. And they did okay against good pass rushes. Arizona was a good pass rush. They stood in there and held their own and stole that game on Thursday night. They held up great against L.A., Anytime you get Aaron Donald to try to choke out a no-name offensive lineman, you know, you got him going. Imagine being Aaron Donald, basically the undisputed best player in football, and a regular season game gets you so tilted that you just start choking some guy you've never heard of. That would be like LeBron grabbing Kyle Guy by the neck, just picking him up. It's like, Dude, you're, you're better than this. Can you not please be this way? Can you not be a POS? Thank you, right? The Packers did okay against good pass rushers despite not having a majority of their offensive line. Now, you can scheme around offensive line deficiencies, and we've talked about this. Not by running the ball. A lot of people think, oh, the, the line's banged up. We got we, we to gotta protect them by running. Well, actually, no. Now, you're not going to take any sacks, but your offense isn't going to be any good. Right now, passing, absolutely, yes. I'm going to cite this study again, something we talked about a few weeks ago with Eric Eager. He did a study on perfectly blocked runs versus perfectly blocked passes when everything is perfect running is the best it's efficient it's perfect it's beautiful you can't beat it from an efficiency standpoint but if you take one block and have it go wrong well a running play can fall apart whereas the passing game is a lot more elastic right you can have one block that's poor you can have one or two things that go wrong you can still conduct business and be effective in the passing game the running game not so much Right, if your left tackle can't hold up, well, roll your quarterback to the right, throw to the right side. Boom, problem solved. If your guard keeps getting whooped, the running game isn't going to go well. It doesn't matter what the other four offensive linemen are doing because you need that one guy to all, you need them all to hold up their blocks, right? So we've talked about this a little bit. The passing game doesn't need the offensive line to be perfect, right? Protection doesn't need to be perfect. Blocks don't need to be perfect. It just needs to be good enough. And between Adam Stenovich and Brian Gutekunst and everyone who's involved in building up that offensive line and coaching it up and scheming it up and keeping it stocked with players and depth, they've done a really good job at being good enough. They've done an excellent job at being good enough. They're above average pass blocking offensive line, which is insane considering they were without four starters all year and their one starter that remained was a fourth round rookie, fifth round rookie, Royce Newman, right out of Ole Miss. That's nuts. Matt LaFleur and Rodgers all season long tweaked and planned and adjusted 
to overcome those things, to overcome injuries on the offensive line, and they did really well. I don't think they can change that just because Bakhtiari is back. I think they need to keep doing what they've been doing, getting the ball out rather quickly, right, being fleet of foot in the pocket. Like, hey, don't get too comfortable back there, Buster, okay? Because the ball needs to come out, or you're going to get crushed. You're going to take a five- or six-yard loss. There's going to be a hold. There's going to be something that goes wrong, and now you're behind the eight ball. And this is an offense. This is a team that needs to keep it on the rails, right? This is a team that's built around efficient offense and not turning the ball over. As soon as you start getting messy penalties, negative plays, well, now you're off script. Now you're off the rails. And that's where this Packers team gets beat. The Niners finished the NFL fifth in sacks this year, and it helps to play Seattle and Russell Wilson because he never throws the ball. So they have seven of their sacks all season just against Russ. But they were also near the top in the NFL of sacks uh, per dropbacks. So just percentage of time that they're getting sacks, they're getting pressures when a team is dropping back to pass. It's really high. This team can get after the passer. And just because Josh Myers and or David Bakhtiari might be back this Saturday, I don't know that Rodgers and Lafleur can go away from all of the mitigation strategies they used this season when their offensive line wasn't healthy. I think those are habits and those are things they need to keep up even as Bakhtiari and Myers return. Let's take a break. I want to talk about Jimmy G and we'll get to Perry Goldstein coming up from Cheesehead TV. She'll be here at 530. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Twitter at Wisco Grant. Perry Goldstein's going to be here in about 10 minutes from Cheesehead TV. You can jump in in the meantime, 608 796 2558. Twitter at Wisco Grant. Let's go to the phones. Welcome to the Wisco Sports Show. Who's this? Hey, Grant. It's Aaron from Janesville. How are you doing? Aaron from Janesville. We have met on Twitter, but I don't believe we've talked before. It's nice to officially meet you, Aaron, in Janesville. No, uh, sitting sitting in silence listening to you over the years. But, uh, <laughs> no, love the show. Thanks. So you're talking about, I'll, I'll be quick so we can get out of the way for Perry. Um, Consider it. But you were talking about there's something we do have in common. I was at that Marlins game with you in 2011. Really? And watching, I wanted to talk that crossover stuff because that was really crazy watching that Cubs Cardinals game peter to an end so we could finally get the celebration on. Ryan Braun hits that giant home run off the scoreboard yes, center he field. Did. Oh, this that is was great. a huge shot. Yeah, was. yeah. And so another great crossover I had at Miller Park one time was uh, in 2018. Uh, the Brewers in the stretch run trying to get to the playoffs, and the Packers were playing the Vikings, and it ended up being a tie ball game. That was 2018, right? Yeah. And that was the craziest experience ever because that stadium was mostly full on a Sunday afternoon for the playoff run, but everybody went into the catacombs of Amfam Field to watch the Viking Packers game, and it was extremely loud, and everyone was cheering extremely loud, but there was nobody in the stands. And you can see the Pirates and Brewers players looking very confused about the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, absolutely I, amazing. I so. love when that stuff happens. I'm hoping I get a similar experience this Saturday and it's not everyone just sitting around looking all depressed. Although, look, if the Bucks beat the Kings, I'll be happy. I, I just want one game to cheer about. I'd much prefer it to be the Packers, but I'll, I'll find a silver lining one way or another Saturday night. Absolutely. Have a good time there, Grant. Uh, Pie service the best. Yeah, it is. I, I can't wait. I'm going with a couple of friends. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for calling. Nice to talk to you in person, Aaron. Absolutely. Grant, take care of yourself, man. Yeah, you too. Have a good night. That's Aaron and Janesville. More of a uh, a Twitter presence on this show. 
Uh, first time we've ever talked, so I appreciate the call. 608-796-2558. Another thing about the Bucks is it's Pride Night on Saturday. I wonder if there's a giveaway. I was talking with our friend Bart Winkler last night, and I said, I'm coming to your city on Saturday night for the Bucks game. It's Pride Night, and I'm I'm coming with two other couples. I, I feel like that's kind of like we're three straight couples. I don't know if that's that's what we want. He said, yeah, that's basically a hate crime. Oh, really? They're giving away socks? Hell yeah. I'm looking at the Bucks Twitter right now. Celebrate Pride Night with Pfizer Forum, January 22nd, 6 p.m. Package includes one game ticket and one pair of Pride socks. Thanks to the Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin. They actually just closed their urgent care in Mequon today for COVID reasons. We don't need to talk about that. Um, did I need to buy a special Pride ticket to be included in this? I'm going to look at the replies. Do we got any FAQs in here? Let's see here. These are dope. These are dope socks. Everyone in the comments wants to buy them. I bet I better get these with my ticket. We got our ticket a while ago. Did I have to order the special Pride ticket to get these socks? I guess I'm coming out a winner on Saturday night, regardless of the Packers or the Bucks score, because those socks are badass. They're rainbow, but they're not over the top. They're like a sharp rainbow. You know what I mean? Six. Someone please. Help us switch topics, 608-796-2558. Right before the break, we were just talking about Bakhtiari coming back, to reiterate, Josh Myers as well. The way in which the Packers have gone about protecting their offensive line when it's banged up this year, they need to keep doing that in the playoffs. If you watch Tom Brady, and God, I wish we didn't have to, but we do. How often is he back in the pocket holding the ball, looking 30 yards down the field, you know, six, seven, eight seconds in the pocket? He's getting the ball out. Because he realizes, yes, the offensive line may need to hold up their end of the bargain and do their job, but they make mistakes just like everyone else. So Brady helps his offensive line by getting the ball out quickly. And I think especially on Saturday, just because of the nature of this matchup and the way the Niners defense is built, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of opportunities to run the ball. So if you have opportunities to check it down and get Dylan and Jones involved in the short passing game, that's something you need to do. That helps everybody. It's advantageous because that's a good way to attack San Fran's defense, but it's also a good way to help out your offensive line. Uh, who was it tweeted or texted in? Oh, I'm sorry. No, I can't find it. Oh, Zach and Wisco said, you know the saying, run to set up the pass. I think the Packers' strategy is to play action pass to set up the run. Stretch the field with several big plays, soften up the middle of the field, then heavy dose of Jones and Dylan. I agree. Passing is going to be the ticket. It's going to be the absolute ticket on Saturday. And I'll be a little frustrated, and I will get nervous right away if the Packers come out on the first drive and go handoff, handoff, pass. You know, pat, run, run, pass on first, second, third down. That that's I don't like that. I don't like that pattern. I hope they don't fall into that pattern. Let's take a break. We'll get to Perry Goldstein on the other side of this break. Tweet me, at Wisco Grant. We can talk about it on Twitter. I talked to Perry at about 2 o'clock this afternoon, so I will play you the interview, and I'd love to argue and go back and forth on Twitter in the meantime. Wisco Sports Show with Perry Goldstein back here in five minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. Give me a tweet at Wisco Grant or give me a text 608-796-2558. We can continue our Packers conversation there virtually or over the phone. Uh, but we can't do it voice to voice because I spoke with Perry Goldstein, great friend of the show, fellow Packers owner and host of the Packs What She Said podcast on Cheesehead TV. You can find her on Twitter at Perry underscore Goldstein. I talked to her at about 2.30 this afternoon. 
We previewed a couple of different angles for Packers 49ers this upcoming weekend. Here's that conversation. Enjoy. Perry Goldstein is back. Cheesehead TV, Packs with She Said podcast. It is an excellent pod. And I know I think we talked about it, but we didn't talk about it on the show. Friend of this show and now friend of your podcast, Eric Eager. What an outstanding episode that you and Maggie did, by the way. I enjoyed that a ton. I'm glad. I'm so glad. It was so much fun to have him on. Um, I am, unlike maybe some others associated with my organization, um, (laughs) really into PFF and what they bring to the table from like a football perspective. And I just think when you marry the analytics with all the other intangible football stuff, it makes for a very interesting conversation. That's been one of my favorite pods in the last couple of weeks. You and Maggie had some awesome points and some awesome questions. Now you should listen to the pod, listen to all their episodes, not just the one with Eric, but that's one that came to mind. And I know pro, pro football focus and people who kind of align with that way of thinking the more numbers side of things would look at Sunday's game between the Cowboys and the Niners and the Niners or the Packers ex opponent. And there's just a lot of messiness in that game. Like there were a lot of dumb decisions and it all boiled down to one final drive by the Cowboys. So both teams had a chance to win or lose, but like it was just a really messy game and I couldn't help but watch and think, oh my God, I've seen that, you know, five times in the last 12 years. That's every playoff loss that the Packers had under McCarthy. And I hated that. I hated that feeling. Yeah, it's not a great look for Big Mike um, from that respect because I think everyone who paid any attention to Packers football over the last decade can point to that game and say that's exactly why the Packers haven't been back to the Super Bowl since 2010. Yeah. When you play really good teams and really good quarterbacks like multiple weeks in a row, like to make a Super Bowl, you need to at least win two games against really good teams. A lot of years, three. Mm -hmm. You need to be buttoned up, right? And Mike McCarthy's teams just like bleed points in the margins, like a timeout here, clock here, points here. And I just watched that game and I'm like, oh my God. Like, I, I looked back at all of the Packers playoff losses and thought about them differently a little bit. Like, oh, maybe it wasn't all on the defense not being able to get a stop at the end. Maybe it was everything that led up to it. Like, it was a brand new lens through which you can kind of look at some of those playoff losses. Yeah, I mean, the Cowboys were in it until the very end. And I think there were certainly some questionable calls. But at the end of the day, you shouldn't be relying on a questionable referee call to win in this spot. Like you need to be doing what you need to do to score more points than the opponent. My biggest, I mean the, the end, the last sequence, I couldn't even follow. I've listened to like a number of podcasts (laughs) about it and I still have really no clue what happened, but my understanding is that the attempt to spike the ball at 14 seconds just went really poorly. And Again, I think if you're getting to the point where the game is riding on you executing on a very, very difficult thing to do, you've already lost at that point. Um, And if you, 14 seconds is a really short amount of time. And in that instance, Mike's got to call that knowing his team has practiced that and they've got that down pat and they just clearly didn't or, or at least didn't have it down pat. Yeah, well, and, and you know, we could talk about the official not being able to spot the ball, but then when you think back through Packers history, like in air quotes, because we're talking about basically since 2009 when they lost to the Cardinals, there's three overtime losses in that time period, and they lost the coin toss in all three of them, so it's easy to say, well, if you just win the coin toss, you win that game, right? But it's like the spot of a referee or like the Kevin King flag at the end of the game. Like, you're left thinking, we lost the game because of that one thing, but I think Sunday's game with the Cowboys and the Niners is a great example. Like, no, there's lots of things that play out throughout the course of a game. I think a lot of Packers fans are scared of San Fran or intimidated, or we think they're hot. We think they're a bad matchup. Do you think Niners fans feel that way? Because I think they might also 
realized they were down 17 nothing to the Rams in Week 18. They could have lost that game. And they very easily could have lost last week despite jumping out to a big lead. Like, I think maybe Packers fans are giving the Niners more credit than Niners fans might be. I think at this point in the season, I know I always think about this when it comes to the playoffs, you're back at 0-0, and it's a completely fresh start. And so I think every team left, especially now, right? The Eagles are out. I think some of the teams that shouldn't have made the playoffs in general are That's out. Hard. And we're, we're down to, to, the, to the best of the best. So every team has pros and cons at this point. I don't think you could take a look at any matchup the Packers would have and say, I think they can beat this team because of X, Y, Z. And I think that they can lose to this team because of X, Y, Z. So I feel like that's my perspective, right? When it comes to playing the Niners. And I think it's the way the Niners should look at playing the Packers. There are major, major pros that the Packers have that I think should lead them to win in this game. Namely, of course, being home and it being freezing cold and having Aaron Rodgers and Devonta Adams. And then there are certainly things that I think the Niners have that scare me as a Packers fan, namely Debo Samuel. Yeah. So I don't know. It, you kind of just weigh, weigh out the pros and cons at this point in the season because every team is good and every team I think is worthy of making it to the big game. Rodgers said that when asked, if you guys talk specifically about the Niners and how they're a tough matchup and how they're hot? And he's like, nah, like at this point, basically any team can beat anybody. Right. Like anybody's capable of beating anybody. I think it was on the McAfee show that he said that. And that kind of aligns with the answer that you just gave. How many targets do you think Devontae Adams gets in this game? Because I completely forgot. You go back to their first matchup and look at the breakdown of how much they targeted Adams. It's stupid. And I forgot all about that. It was 56% of all targets, right? Yeah. Something ridiculous like that. Did he have 18 or 19 targets or something like that? Or Yeah, I think it's going to be around there. Because also, and I, yes, that to Devonte, but I think for all of the Packers receivers, like this should be a big, big passing game because the Niners front is their strength on defense and their secondary is a bit, a bit of a prayer at this point in the season. So I fully expect Lazard. We, we heard today Cobb's going to be back playing. um, And hopefully, you know, you get some uh, running backs in the passing game as well. So I think the, the passing attack and Aaron Rodgers is the mismatch. I think that Randall Cobb, even if he can't run, like literally, even if he like limps to a spot and waits for the ball, I think is a huge advantage in this game. And the reason that despite his price and despite kind of how clunky it was bringing him back, he's valuable to this team as almost like a security blanket because Cobb, maybe unlike some other younger wide receivers, is going to be able to look at the secondary and think, okay, they're weak here. Rodgers is going to be looking here. And even if he limps to a spot and just parks it, catches the ball and falls over, there's actually huge utility to that in this game, especially with the weak San Fran secondary, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you're you're so spot on with like the vet understanding, not just of Cobb understanding defenses, but Cobb understanding his quarterback in a way that most receivers don't have a relationship with their quarterback like they do. So it's like, I think it just elevates it a little bit. And even if he's just a decoy, you know, similar use Cobb in motion, put him in the slot, move him around, put Devontae in the slot. There's just so much you can do, even if he doesn't get a single target, which I, uh, I fully believe he will, if he plays. Um, I also think that with MVS having this like really peculiar back injury, you put Cobb in that MVS role. He's not, quite as fast anymore but he can still be a bit of a deeper threat like you put him in that role and it kind of makes up for the loss of mbs also how do we deal with bakhtiari coming back because it's it's odd like he's not conditioned quite yet like he's still got progress to be made there matt lafleur's answers so far this week have been super ambiguous 
I, Always. Like with Jair, right? Like, to, to let's compare him to Jair. Jair could come into a game and play 50% of the snaps and be really useful because you can use him in certain situations and you can move him. That's not really how offensive line works. So, like, you can't, you can't run him out there for 50% of the snaps. He's kind of either out there or he isn't. How are you kind of thinking about Bakhtiari and the way they're working him back? So I think with all injuries, Matt LaFleur is keeping everything as close to the vest as possible because you don't want to leak out what they're going to do, if they're going to use – like if he gets up on that podium and says, yep, Jair's great, he's ready to go, he's going to be my starting boundary corner, then you're giving the 49ers an advantage in understanding yeah. how he's going to use him. So I am under the impression that all of these guys are going to play – I think with Z and Jair, it's like you said, much easier to be in a more rotational aspect than a left tackle. But I think given that Bach got some snaps against the Lions, granted it wasn't that much, I I just and the competitive nature of these guys, like I can't imagine him not playing the full game. I mean, Tristan Wirfs came back into that game last Sunday. That was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. They were killing the Eagles. He was clearly hurt. That was so stupid. That was malpractice, honestly. The Eagles, there was no chance the Eagles were coming back. Like, like they could not move the ball fast enough to, like, come back. What were they down? 17 to nothing or whatever. I had my phone set to the side, and I'm watching them run Tristan Wirfs back out onto the field, and I'm thinking, hmm, like, they have this game won. This is kind of odd. And then I went on Twitter, and everyone is just screaming into the void about how stupid this is. I was like, okay, it's, it's not just me. That was weird. I, that was really, really bizarre. I mean, I guess best case scenario, Bakhtiari plays three quarters, the Packers are up by 21, and then he can rest in the fourth quarter. That's yeah. the dream, right? You know, you bring up a good point because this is this is a marathon, right? Not a sprint. We're kind of in that sprint phase. We're at like mile, mm-hmm. I don't know, 22. Have you ran a marathon before? No, God, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I thought maybe. I, most I've ever done is like a 6K. Okay. Um, or a 10K, rather. Six yeah. miles. Six miles. Um, I was going to say, you just the 5K probably went good enough. Like, what was the extra satisfaction you needed from, like, the one yeah, more K? I got more kilometers and miles over yeah, here. Yeah, that's funny. So, mile um, 22, I see. Right, we're at, we're at mile 22 here. So, you want to be cognizant of your guys and their injuries, but you're also kind of like, well, if you're not going to play now, like, when are you going to play? Because we got to also get to the Super Bowl, and these yeah. are the games that you win to get to the Super Bowl. So, I don't know. Um, but I also know that the Packers of all franchises being as conservative as, as they are, are not going to put those guys out there if they're not hundred percent ready. So yeah. I think if we do see Bach play, it's because we know he's healthy and you can call it coach speak, but I think the whole like load management thing is real, right? Like you seem the way Matt LaFleur deals with all the players and they get, he gets, gives them vet rest and they get walkthrough days. So this is kind of like in line with the way that they do things. Yeah, it, it fits his mold, I would say, certainly in the way Lafleur's operated in the past. We're talking with Perry Goldstein. Check out her podcast, Packs What She Said with Maggie Loney. She's head TV. You can find her on Twitter, all that stuff. Joe Barry's defense. So uh-huh. I think, and I don't know if we talked about this, I think something broke with Joe Barry after the Minnesota game. Because against Minnesota, they're being aggressive. They got a ton of pressure on Kirk Cousins. He threw up a bunch of jump balls. They just didn't intercept any of them. And Justin Jefferson was brilliant. And I think Joe Barry after that game thought, damn, I need to, like, I need to change something. When Are you the, talking about the first Minnesota the game? Sec- they lost? Uh, the first one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they were both later in the season. So they lost to Minnesota despite, like, doing really good things on defense. They were aggressive, just didn't work out. And after that game, he started to pull back a little bit. They all of a sudden weren't crowding the line of scrimmage with their corners, and, and they were playing back a little bit more. 
is that an issue do, that you think is going to continue into the postseason? Or do you think like brand new season, you know, forget those weird games against the Browns and the Vikings and the Lions that didn't matter. Now we go and we're going to see a more aggressive, like a, a more pressure filled Joe Barry defense now because I'm, I'm a little worried. You look a lot like Mike Pettin down the stretch. So interesting that you think that. Um, I think Joe Barry's been playing his brand of defense the same way all season. Really? Right? Like he's, he's, he's light boxes, Joe Barry. And it's worked against certain teams and it didn't work against other teams. Like it doesn't, I think my fear going into this game is that the games in which it doesn't work is against really run heavy teams. Yeah. Ravens, Browns with Nick Chubb. Like that is where you probably don't want to be using so many light boxes. And again, like the 49ers are going to just run the ball as much as possible, especially with Jimmy G having a torn like thumb ligament and like, a shoulder now. Just yeah, everything. like they're not going to lean on Jimmy G. So I do hope he he prepares himself for that because the Packers do have secondary pieces and additional linebackers who can play really well in the box, right? Adrian Amos is one of the best safeties in the box. You've got Devondre Campbell, who's the best tackler in the league. You want him in the middle of the field there. You also probably want Chris Barnes in there a little bit, maybe rotate in like an Oren Burks to like blitz. I'm really curious how they use some of the edge rushers that are coming back, like Z and Mer- Whitney Merciless, they because they have a lot of pieces now. Um, so it's hard to predict also when you have all these new fun guys coming back about what Joe Barry is going to do. But, like, let's just load up the box a little bit more. Just a little bit. Stack the box just a bit. No, just I, a little bit. I feel you. I, it's weird with Shanahan, and maybe we can close by just talking about this coaching matchup a little bit. It's weird with Shanahan because – He's more than content to run the ball until he's up multiple scores in the second half. And then all of a sudden, like, it's it's time to let Jimmy G throw. It's so bizarre. Some of the things that Shanahan does or doesn't do confuses me. Like, he's the best offensive mind in the league. I'm sure he believes that, and yet he won't. You think that? I'm sure he thinks that. Oh. I, it's probably up for debate. I think he most certainly thinks that about himself, yet he gets a fourth and one on a team's 35 and he's kicking or he's punting like that's bizarre that doesn't make sense I I think the scheme is great some of the coaching and the decision making isn't great I think LaFleur's got him there and I think that could make a difference this weekend I completely agree with you I think I think when it comes this is the first year I'd say that too because last couple seasons I'd say okay what I'm worried most about is Shanahan because he is brilliant and he's had the Packers number before but this year is something about Matt LaFleur this year that I'm thinking to myself, no, that we have the coaching advantage now. And maybe maybe this is reading too much into it, but it was the way that they greeted each other after mm. the loss in week three. There's something about how angry Shanahan was at losing to him that I'm like, he knows, right? Like yeah. he knows that now his protege really because LaFleur comes from the Shanahan tree he's reached his level now well, I think LaFleur is better than McVeigh too like I don't think McVeigh's a oh, good yes. in-game manager that's not well, a question and what's frustrating is this this stuff isn't hard like it doesn't take years to know when to go for it on fourth down or when to punt or when to do these things like it's so simple and yet there are so many good coaches really really smart tactful coaches that just don't do it do you know what it is you think it's, it's a quarterback uh, McVay, McVay, does he does he does he really trust Stafford? He certainly didn't trust Jared Goff. Clearly, does Shanahan trust Jimmy G in those situations? 
I don't know. But you know for sure that Matt LaFleur trusts Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, well, Dan Campbell went for it a lot this year. Worked out pretty well for the... Well, I think Dan Campbell also likes to bite off kneecaps, so that might be an outlier. I just like... Oh, so Jimmy G's not great. But you trust him to drop back and pass in the fourth quarter in Dallas and throw a pick? Like, I I don't know. Again, questions. We have questions for these coaching decisions. But I think that Matt LaFleur has at least been the most consistent and is clearly the one that has the quarterback advantage. Yeah, I love it. I hope they win because then maybe we can talk about another game next week. I would be really bummed if they lose this weekend and we have to eulogize this team on Monday. And when I say we, I say me, and I'm going to hate it, and it's going to be depressing. I hope I don't have to do that. We're not putting that out into the universe, okay? No, we're not. Not yet. Thank you, Perry. Enjoy the game this weekend. You too. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.